Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, everybody, to Iron Radio. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiologist and a nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. And currently not training for much anything. I'm going to do a Highland Games sometime this spring. But oh, fall, cool. But... Nice. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I created the Flex Diet Cert, uh, associate professor at the Kerrigan Institute, and still down in South Padre, Texas. Nice. How long? How much more? Uh, we leave this coming Thursday, so okay. we'll be visiting some friends in Texas and making our way back up. We have the second uh, uh, vaccine shot on right before we leave, so nice. it might be interesting but it'll be good to get it done yeah it's starting to get it's, it's going to be getting too hot down there for you right it's time to go back up north yeah it's warm down there it's it's been rather cooler this year uh, so far but it yeah i would not want to be here in the summer i know i probably <laughs> would get used to it but it gets super crowded there's less yeah. wind for kiteboarding and it gets really hot i mean the humidity has already been super high the humidity has been 85 to 99 percent humidity uh, <laughs> yeah no bueno yeah all right um everybody we have an episode about weight gain uh today and after the break we're actually going to talk about some new discoveries and i, I mean this legitimately that are partly because of phil's body <laughs> um <laughs> So we're going to talk about what's the what's the cost, the biological and maybe psychological and even like socioeconomic costs. What are the costs of aggressive bulking? Right. So not playing around. We'll define what we mean by this. Uh, we'll talk about what it's doing to your pocketbook and your body uh, and kind of we're going to kick that off after the break with what it did to Phil's uh, intestinal microbiome. Uh, uh, we have a, a friend of the show, Dr. Sarah Campbell. She actually asked Phil for fecal samples because what he was doing to uh, just aggressively gain weight was pretty extreme. And we need to document when, you know, higher end bodybuilders and powerlifters do this stuff because the gen pop does not know what this what this is, right? Like a typical day is going to be um, – completely outside of any normal bell curve of intake. So uh, we'll probably start with what happened to Phil's um, intestinal microbiome. And uh, I heard that Dr. Campbell, she's already got this made into a poster, so they'll be presenting this uh, somewhere. Uh, so yeah. that will be interesting. You'll kind of go down in the annals of, of science. Yeah. First I was a cover model. Now I'm a poop model. That's right. It's amazing. I don't know if it's a downward slide. <laughs> First, you're this heroic deadlifter. Now you're just a poop provider. <laughs> um, all right. So I found two things. Lately, I have had a conversation with a colleague of mine, very level-headed guy, about um, the pros and cons of stimulating mTOR, you know, of things like casein and whey. And, Mike, you know a lot of this stuff, too. I mean, there's a – downside i mean muscle athletes are always fascinated how do i stimulate muscle protein synthesis i want to stimulate protein synthesis bring it bring it bring it but then sometimes 
and I've even heard people like that, Dr. Mercola online and other people that work with Gen Pop uh, patients. They're like, I don't know, is casein, is it great for muscles or is it like prostate cancer waiting to happen, you know, or other kinds <laughs> of cancer? Because, you know, that's sort of the kind of cells you don't want to grow. Anyway, so we were talking about the pros and cons and how in 2019, the Canadians, they removed dairy from their food guide, which is very controversial. I mean, we all grew up. Dairy was just a food group, man, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and they removed it. And it could there could be several reasons for that that I haven't dug into. If we have Canadian listeners, I'd love to hear uh, how they educated the public on that choice. I mean, it could be that most of the world, if you're not from northern European descent, most of the world can't digest lactose anyway. You know, so lactose becomes a problem. Uh, it could be uh, along the lines of this, these data that just don't go away, you know, that dairy, oh, it'll cause some growth. You know, it's a very high quality protein on these scales, but do you want everything to grow indiscriminately? Maybe you don't, you know, and all this sort of thing. So there's been some negative uh, stuff lately about that, about uh, fueling cancer growth and that kind of stuff. Um but we can't deny, you know, the upsides of this. So for you people out there who consume lots of dairy uh, and protein powders and stuff, um, here is a paper from Isabel Potani. This is brand new stuff, Oxford University Press. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Let's see. Um, I got it through the American Society of Nutrition. Uh, Mike and I go to that meeting sometimes or through experimental biology. But... It's called ready-to-use therapeutic food containing low or no dairy compared to standard, right, R-U-T-F, ready-to-use therapeutic food, for children with severe acute malnutrition, a systematic review and meta-analysis. Now, you might be like, what are you talking about, Lowry? Children, yes, kids are more anabolic than you weightlifters wish you could be, right? They are little growth machines. And so I'm going to talk about them. And in the second study, I'm going to talk about elderly people. And whether or not protein um, is useful for weight gain and, and that kind of thing. So borrowing from other populations, right? Looking at clinical stuff is a great way for uh, sports nutritionists to kind of get an idea how effective are these things. So, again, we're going to talk about comparing some very high-quality proteins, like dairy proteins, versus attempts to make you know, supplements without them. And do they work? So this is uh, – it starts off saying ready-to-use therapeutic food, R-U-T-F, containing less dairy may be a lower-cost treatment option for severe acute malnutrition. So they're looking at underfed kids. Uh, it says they wanted to look specifically at dairy-containing R-U-T-F versus ones that are less than 50% of their protein from dairy products. And again, looking at it in uh, malnourished kids. A total of 5,868 studies were identified, of which eight articles of six studies met the inclusion criteria, evaluating seven different uh, different recipes. What, what did they find? Non-dairy or lower dairy RUTF showed less weight gain, lower recovery, and lower weight for age Z-scores. If you're not familiar, Z-scores is just a kind of a generic way to compare dissimilar things, but... So not not attractive here. It says the certainty of evidence was high for weight gain. RUTF with lower protein from dairy or dairy-free RUTF may not be as effective as standard RUTF, that is with dairy proteins, for treatment of children with SAM, right? Severe acute malnutrition. So this pretty much just comes out and says it. Again, a study of other studies Dairy proteins make you grow. They help you recover. They help you rebound. They help you grow. So we're talking about whey and casein here. Um, I don't know. Bodybuilders have gotten mixed message over the years. Generally pro, I would think, as far as the dairy stuff. I mean, I remember Arnold saying, when you grow up, you drink beer, you know, um, when they asked him (laughs) if he drank milk. But, um, Mike, what do you think about the dairy quality? Is this surprising? Is this not surprising? I think that kind of matches everything else we've we've seen so far. Obviously, a slightly different population, but yeah, I mean, then you get into all the specific details, and I think you can use other potentially even plant proteins if you've got the right amino acid balance and you consume enough of them. There's been a few studies that have kind of compared that, but 
yeah, I think it kind of matches what we've we've seen in the the data showing that dairy proteins are beneficial for growth. Yeah, yeah. Being a meta analysis and in a, a group that their little bodies are ready to grow. You know, you provide yeah. the building blocks and they just take off. It is an interesting um, perspective. What about? Have you heard much lately about the the downsides of uncontrolled? you know, protein synthesis stimulation from dairy? Yeah, I had a question from a guy on my newsletter, and it was a you know a good question because if I, I spent a little bit of time poking around on the old internet the other day, getting out of my hole, and wow, you hear all sorts of interesting things. And just because it's a, I think it was, was it Peter Lemon or someone else you knew, Lonnie, said just because it's logical doesn't mean it's physiological. Because the the saying goes that, oh, well, protein helps growth. Oh, cancer is just uncontrolled growth because you don't have any, you know, death of these cells. So, therefore, proteins can increase your cancer risk. And I'm not super convinced of that. Again, I'm not a cancer researcher. I emailed another buddy of mine just to, to double check. And, you know, most of the time they send some interesting mouse study, which, yeah, I mean, they have their place. But... You know, usually with that kind of stuff, you know, especially if you look at autophagy and cancer risk and longevity and those things as you scale up into you know, higher level mammals, it tends everything tends to have less and less of an effect. You know, if you're a nematode, then fasting can be really beneficial for longevity. If you're a human, eh, I think it can be beneficial for some pathologies and I think it definitely can be useful. Um, but you know, just I'm not going to go out and restrict my calories by 60% overnight. I'm definitely not going to drop my protein intake because we do know, especially with aging, if you're looking at an older population, again, population specific, you have a higher risk of sarcopenia, right? So loss of actual protein and muscle mass itself. You also have a little bit more anabolic resistance. You're going to need more protein to get the, the same sort of acute response uh, from it. So those things we do know definitely happen and do lead to uh, potential increased mortality dying sooner. Um, so you're looking at something we do know versus something that's, you know, kind of a hypothetical risk. And then it gets super messy into, well, what type of cancer are you talking about? What other things are you doing? So I guess for me personally, out of all the, the things I'm doing as I'm getting older, I'm really not that worried about higher protein diets. Uh, with some clients, if they're really concerned about it, I have had them do a longer fasting period, 19 to 24 hours. We don't use any amino acids or anything like that. We slowly work them up to that. I think if you're super worried about that and you're trying to you know, hedge your bets and still have six days of higher protein and not really having a lot of muscle loss, that's, that's kind of what I would do. I have done a little bit more fasting as I get a little bit older, but... Again, I will admit that that's still very extremely hypothetical at this point. Yeah, I think a lot of my students lately have been influenced greatly. Even after learning about protein in class, very influenced by some of these vegan documentaries that are out. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they cherry pick very selectively uh, oh, yeah. and they make dairy. Oh, the China study. Yeah, like scary dairy, you know, and it's like, well. Scary dairy. But uh, on, <laughs> but. You're, like what you're saying with sarcopenia or even just trying to make gains, you know, hashtag yeah. gains with a Z. Yeah, there might be some trade-off, I suppose. But, again, what are we allowed to eat anymore, right? And because it's hard to argue that on these, you know, the DIAS or the PDCAAS, these scales, dairy whey is king. I mean, it's at the top of the list. But um, – Phil, now you live on a gentleman's farm in a way, or maybe even just farm. Um, how do you look at dairy? Have you purposely chugged milk with the weight gain? I mean, the theme today is going to be weight gain. Do you go after the milk, or is that just part of everything else you're you're shoveling in, or or how do you look at that? Honestly, on a daily basis, I try to get milk in twice a day, um, mm -hmm. just because it's an easy, good form of protein and calories. So. Mm -hmm. um, we're probably weird compared to the rest of the country. We have a another farm we visit, and I get raw dairy right from the cow. Um, okay, and it's just because it's delicious. So, yeah. <laughs> um, 
that's really the reason. It's you know we pay a little more, but man, it's good. Uh, after having that compared to store bought milk, I just can't go back. Um, there's like five inches of cream on top of it and stuff like that. It's just delicious. So, mm. um, yeah, I mean, I just find it as a good. It's a good complete source of kind of everything. Yeah, it's, there's good carbs, fat, protein, all mixed in one. It's easy for me to grab the glass, drink it, and I'm good to go. So, mm-hmm. uh, I have some in the morning and some at night. Yeah, it's worth pointing out, too. I mean, dairy, when you remove it from a food guide, I once had a student say, why would anybody drink dairy? You know, like almost like this is so bizarre. We're the only species that drinks the the mother's milk of another species. And, you know, the usual kinds of arguments that you hear on online. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Potassium, calcium, vitamin A and D fortified. I mean, there's a, you know, quality proteins. It's just incredibly nutrient rich. Yeah. Um, and and it could be I'm that just- simple. I'm sorry if if like a lion learned that it could just go drink milk off a of species daily, it would do it. Probably do it. <laughs> They're just not smart enough to do it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they just kill the thing and then they get one meal. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And it is a good point Mike makes about population specificity. You know, kids are not going to be in the same hormonal state. They're not stimulating muscle growth with resistance training the way an adult would. And then the elderly are on, on yet another ball of wax. So, yeah, it, it, but it is interesting to at least gain insights, I think, from, you know, some of these other populations. Let me share another one for everybody. Just one more here. Also about protein supplements. This is an older folks, but. This is by Sana Ben Harchache, uh, Advances in Nutrition, March of this year. The impact of protein supplementation on appetite and energy intake in healthy older adults. And again, this is a systematic review and meta-analysis, which I know Mike and I have been fussing lately. It seems to be all that comes out these Mm -hmm. days is, you know, let's just review what's out there. Um, There seem to be so many few new discoveries this past year, which is maybe why Phil's Phil's gut microbiota um, case studies. It's actually new data, uh, so we'll get to that after the break. But this is an interesting question because it depends on how you're using protein. Because I think we all know people use protein as part of weight gainers and to gain mass and bulk up. And but they also know that their protein intake should probably go up when they're cutting calories, right? So they eat protein to try to cut. So this is an interesting question: Is it going to help or harm? you know, your appetite and your, your energy intake. So it says protein supplementation is an attractive strategy to prevent loss of muscle mass in older adults. However, it could be counterproductive due to the effects on appetite. So they did a meta-analysis. They looked at acute and longitudinal studies. Uh, this is healthy older adults. So you had to be 60 years old or, or more to be in this here for them to select. Um, they looked at the effects of protein supplementation through both foods and you know, dietary supplements. Uh, and they compare that with control groups and or pre-intervention. So 22 studies, nine acute and 13 longitudinal were included. They involved 857 people, 331 males, 526 females. So actually heavier on the women here. So in acute studies, Appetite ratings were suppressed in 7 out of 24 protein arms. So this isn't universal. And we've talked about this before, Mike. I think you said some of your clients, the prior protein intake will really curb their appetite. Others, not so much. Um, But 7 out of 24. It says, for acute studies reporting energy intake, test meal energy intake was reduced following protein preload. How much? Negative uh, 164 kilojoules. So what's that, like 39, 40 kcal? Um, so that's not, not a lot. Yeah, I mean, on Phil's scales, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like um, half a cookie. Right? <laughs> um, so it did cut it by maybe 40 calories. It says, however, when energy content of the supplement itself was accounted for, total energy intake was greater with the protein compared to the control. In longitudinal studies... Uh, they showed a higher protein intake of about 0.3 grams per kg per day. So, you know, you're talking – the RDA is only 0.8 grams per yeah. kg per day. So this is 0.3. So this is uh, people with, you know, pretty definitely a higher protein intake. Uh, 
no difference in daily energy intake between the protein and the control groups. So on, in chronic longitudinal type studies, it didn't it seem to be, have a big impact. What do they conclude here? It says, while appetite ratings may be suppressed with acute protein supplementation, there is either a positive effect or no effect on total energy intake in acute and longitudinal studies, respectively. Therefore, protein supplements may represent an effective solution to increase protein intakes in healthy older adults without compromising their energy intake through appetite suppression. So again, I'm, I'm reading this two ways when it comes to our population. I know I'm bastardizing this, applying this to lifters, but one would be, oh, well, maybe, this, maybe protein's not such a great diet tool. It won't kill your appetite and keep your other calories down. Uh, some people might be like, well, this is great for weight gain, though, right? Because I can eat the extra protein. It's not going to fill me up and kill my appetite later, which is kind of what, how I think they're trying to apply this to the uh, older folks. My question would be, what protein did they use? They just made them like they supplemented with extra whey. Of course, that's going to digest very quickly and not mess with your appetite. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. I think this is very inclusive because it was a big okay. study of other studies. Uh, you're right. As opposed to like chicken or steak, you know, yeah. which might I slow mean, you down. Stick around there for a while. So, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, as I'm looking at this stuff, it's. You know, it's acute versus chronic. Yes, this is older folks. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest question as I read this was, yeah, but maybe – let's look at this from a dieting perspective. Maybe the total energy intake was somewhat greater when you account for the supplement itself, mm-hmm. but those calories are coming from protein, not from, yes. I don't know, a Big Mac an hour later, right? So yeah. the, if you just look at the calories, okay, it's positive, but – we, I think we all know that excess protein intake is not as likely as extra fat or mm-hmm. carb intake to make you fat. So, I, yeah. again, even for dieting, even if the calories are you know, not any less or even slightly greater, so what? Because the extra calories were from the protein, from the very planned, you know, non-lipogenic uh, food mm-hmm. source, I guess. Um, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with everything both of you said. <laughs> um, it's yeah, I'm would not be too much worried about extra protein overall, but yeah, what good it, points on appetite and even the appetite effect is varies across depending upon what study you look at. Do they rate it with a visual analog scale? Do they give them access to like an ad libitum buffet afterwards and measure how much they ate? And you know that research even gets to be kind of messy. What about client-wise? Um, for weight loss or weight gain, what are the kind of lessons that you that you share? Uh, in terms of protein intake? Yeah, like because this is making it look like, well, you know, it's not going to ruin your appetite, but maybe a dieter would want it to ruin their appetite. Um, are you going to have people lean into the protein for gain versus loss, or is it just ever-present? You know, protein has its role regardless, or... You know. Yeah, I mean, I usually keep most people around 0.7 grams per pound of body weight up to around one gram. And then we watch, you know, total calories and everything else. If they're really trying to, you know, gain gain weight and they're just not hitting their caloric intake and they're, you know, at like, say, a gram per pound of body weight, yeah, we're probably going to, you know, slowly scale back on protein. I've had a few new clients in the past that were eating like, you know, one and a half grams per pound of body weight and they're trying to gain weight and they're like, ah, I can't figure out why I can't gain any weight, man. It's like, well, you probably need to cut back on your protein. You're in a huge excess and you just can't get in enough, you know, other calories. Um, If someone's cutting down, you know, at some point we're going to probably increase their protein. And I have gone relatively high with that. Again, most of that is just trying to get them something to eat so they're not starving and they're compliant too. So, Yeah. Yeah, looking at this greater energy intake here um, that I was mentioning before, this says, yeah, when energy content of the supplement was accounted for, it was a total of, let's see, um, about 160 calories, you know, Hmm. surplus. But, yeah, I mean, to Phil's point, you know, 40 down or 160 up, uh, these are minuscule numbers. And I think people might say, well, that adds up over time. And I would 
I'd really caution you against the toast catastrophe there. Um, you know, that somehow this is going to add up to massive gains or losses because I'm sure when we ask Phil what a typical day was like when he was bulking, mm-hmm. 40 and 160 calories, these are completely in- inconsequential ups and downs. That's what was left on his plate if he didn't yeah. finish the it. The crumbs. Yeah. yeah. The crumbs. <laughs> There's more than that that comes out the back end undigested. So much in. Yeah. In his couch yeah. cushions. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. And, and, and Mike, you mentioned before too. This could be individual too, or and to Phil's point yeah. about the type. If you're going to be, yeah, casein that's clotting in your stomach or steak, um, that's got to have a different effect than yeah, some water and whey protein mixture. You know, dilute whey water thing. Um, anyway, yeah. So I guess the take home message here is it's it's not going to mess with you too much. I mean, as far as ups or downs, I, I still think it's probably got its role whether you're cutting or or bulking. Um, I just think it's ironic, though, that people tend to really aggressively go after the protein when they're bulking, and maybe they should be looking at it more when they're dieting. Um, not because it's going to kill your appetite, but just because it's going to be, you know, help maintain, preserve your muscle mass, maybe. All right. Well, those are the two studies we've got. When we come back after the break, I've got just a list of questions for Phil and Mike, and we're going to start with the what the the gut microbiota researchers discovered in Phil's poo during uh, his dirty bulk. So we'll be back. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text the uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. For this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Okay, listeners. After more than a decade of joining us on the podcast airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test, In about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. fix of iron radio in addition to being a popular institute on itunes we are also on email simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email you'll get a once per week email no more that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio so go for it Right, everybody we're back it's phil and mike and lonnie and we're going to talk about the the price of aggressive bulking i guess you could say dirty bulking i i'm not a big fan of applying such subjective terms you know but really really serious weight gain or excess calorie intake now i think it, with most of the athletes i work with and phil i know you're going to define this differently but i would suggest this would be 
more than a thousand extra calories each day. You know, if, if you're no. a college male and you're eating 2,500, 3,000, we're talking about maybe 4,000 calories a day. You know, like add an, at least an extra thousand in surplus every day. But you do it with weight gain, don't you, Phil? Is it like pounds per week or? Yeah, normally we just set a goal of how much to gain, and that's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't care. Whatever it takes to get there. So And it's usually well over 1,000 calories extra. Yeah. So, um, no, and that's one of the things they asked me is like, what percentage of weight did you gain that uh, was good weight? And did I have an idea? And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, my guess would be it couldn't have been better than 50%. And they're like, was it worth it? And so I gained 40 pounds of whatever weight it was. Let's say 20 and 20. Mm-hmm. But I put 120 pounds on the squat bar. So, yeah, it was worth it. Right. You know, yeah. I gained three pounds on the bar for every pound on my body. That's so good. hell yeah, it was worth it. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for what I'm doing. So in, in my mind, but yeah. So. Well, before I ask you about your, your fecal uh, results, I mean, yep. let's, let's just quickly review what the, when I, I talk about the price of this stuff, I mean, More sugar, more junk fats, lower fiber, probably doing less cardio, right? All these things to try to get yourself in a positive energy balance. Otherwise, you're not going to gain the mass. So these things are going to take its toll, sort of. Um, What was a typical day for you, Phil, uh, before we get to the the different bacteria colonies and whatnot? I mean, it's honestly, it's anything I can fit in, but um, just for a typical day, I mean, it might be, I I do weird things. Like I would grab peanut butter, chocolate syrup, and heavy cream and eat that. (laughs) (laughs) Any time that I left here in my office and went to the gym, on the way there, there's like a, a convenience store. And I would stop there and get like one of their hamburgers that you microwave or one of those bomb burritos, you know, the foot long fricking things that tear you up inside. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of those, you know, just, it really is. And I can't stress this to people enough. It's not eating when you're hungry. It's eating when you're not full. Mm-hmm. Like if you aren't full, you need to eat again. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so it was constantly that during, during these things, my wife cooks me what we call midnight cookies. Uh, <laughs> It's just big batches of cookies and muffins and stuff. And when I wake up at night, I'll go walk upstairs, eat some, go back to bed. Oh, man. <laughs> so it's constantly putting stuff in. I mean, I wrote down, they had me write down a typical day. So I woke up, I had peanut butter, chocolate syrup, and heavy cream. Then I had four cups of cereal with four cups of raw milk, uh, some fish oils, 44 ounces of soda, uh, a six-inch ham sandwich, Three cups of fried rice, one with a cup of ground beef, and a bunch of extra uh, olive oil. Uh, chocolate covered grain cracker cookies. Three cups of chocolate milk with heavy chocolate syrup. 24 ounces of beer. Six ounces of beef. Bean and cheese burritos. Uh, eight ounce ribeye with salad with a bunch of ranch and mixed vegetables. Yogurt and fish oil. So, I mean, it just kept going. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So... And like I said, anytime, anytime I left here, I would, okay, got to stop and get something to eat. And it wasn't, you know, it was like whatever I can grab that's easy. It was usually like one of those people made fun of me because I, I grabbed those big ass burritos, but they're easy. You know, I'd throw them in the microwave for a minute and a half and slam a freaking 1500 calories yeah. or whatever those things are. Right. Um, it was just about calories and I didn't have to worry about protein because with the foods I like, I get it anyways. So I'm going to have, there's going to be lots of meat, going to be lots of dairy. I know I'm hitting my protein needs i mean so i don't even pay attention to that so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but so what happened to your 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 feces (laughs) what happened to your gut bacteria well it started out we did a baseline test of course and sarah was like you had really good poop um, (laughs) to start out with so my i guess there's two main things they're looking at for healthy gut bacteria um as far as uh long-term health and that's your firmicytes and your bacteriodides. Sorry, guys, I'm going to ruin these words. Uh, I think they're Latin, and I don't know Latin. But uh, those two things were really high on test one. Um, 
before this started. So we tested before I started that, like the week before. Immediately on the following test, they were in the crapper. Literally. They were just gone. Literally. Uh, they plummeted. Uh, so, which was interesting to them. Uh, but the weird thing was, is my probiotics went up. All we can do at this point, because I was an N of one, is speculate. But it was one of two things they think. And Sarah was like, possibly it's those went up because the others went so far down. Hmm. My body's like, holy shit, we need something to help this guy out. Uh, <laughs> or there's studies on some swimmers that they, uh, a study was done on competitive swimmers. And as their training cycle came up and their training got harder and more intense, they saw that go up in them. And they, it could be just the training volume training and the effect. heavy lifting it did. Yeah. They said it can affect what's going on in your gut. So they said that might have been it because, I mean, across the board, all those went up. Like 10 different markers rose up during my heavy, heavy training time. Because, of course, with the heavy eating, there was also very intense training. Right. So, and then almost immediately after, I mean, they started coming back up. The problem was even after 12 weeks, they didn't quite reach where they were before. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. as far as long-term, it's like, uh, it took a little longer than we thought. <laughs> you know, to, for, I mean, things immediately got better, but they didn't even reach baseline 12 weeks later as far as my, those two main markers of good gut bacteria. So they're like, yeah, I mean, you do bounce back, but it's like it might take time. So how much of a price are you paying for one meat? And doing yep. this, yep. you know, how, what kind of a long-term price are you paying is kind of where, where we got. But I mean, the, the conclusion definitely was that, yep, they went bad and they went bad really fast. Like within a couple weeks, like the bacterium in my gut was just, whew, hmm. it, it didn't like what I was doing. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, basically they concluded that high fat diets promote weight gain and increased insulin resistance, but and that's what they asked me if, uh, like blood tests, and it just so happened, you know, I do blood, but after this particular meet, I did blood tests, and that's when, for the first time in my life, I had really bad blood. Uh, and like my cholesterol was through the roof, and so my blood pressure was up, and normally my blood pressure has always been good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was way up, and my cholesterol was like way up to the point my doctors, uh, like, yep, we're putting you on statins. I'm like, no, let's hold on a minute. <laughs> yeah, let's wait. It's just making her realize that it's like, you don't understand. I'm not a normal person. And the things I'm eating, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't average. You know, I mean, I guess one of those people on my 600-pound life probably eat what I eat. But I was eating a lot and, you know, convinced her to, you know, give me eight weeks. And she's like, that's fine. You know, nobody can lower their cholesterol more than a few points in eight weeks, and I proved her wrong. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I went back to eating normal, and, of course, my gut bacteria went, went back to normal, and my cholesterol came down without her drugs. So Yeah, Phil, the, the time frames, I think, are interesting. That Even 12 weeks later, you weren't quite back on the gut bacteria stuff. Um, yeah. Blood lipids, too. You know, they're going to – you have real high triglycerides or – you know, your LDLs are up or whatever's going on. Yeah, typically I think, I mean, there's literature about different weight trainers, and it depends if they're natural or not and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but about how these things can go bad and then rebound very aggressively, you know, after the period of of training and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the, the time frames are, I think, is important for a lot of people before they go to their doctor, right, and then they do end up being put on a statin drug because they didn't realize, just yeah. wait two months, bro. Um, that's not going to be the make or break that's going to kill you, you know, because you've got high triglycerides or LDL or something, or your blood pressure. What about your age, though? I mean, because you're a case study, so all oh, this, yeah. all think, this is unique. Yeah, and I think that's part of it. I mean, because like I said, at, at 40, God, what was I? This study got pushed off a year because of COVID, because I turned in my last sample, like, right before we got shut down. So... Um, so they kind of didn't get to touch it for a year. My poop was just in a freezer. <laughs> okay. But, uh, I mean, I was 42, I guess it was. So mm-hmm. when this meet happened, just about to turn 43. And 
Yeah, and like I said, this is the first time in my life that my blood went bad, and I have to expect like nothing changed as far as what I do, what I've done for a meet and things like aside from my age. Mm-hmm. So I have to expect a lot of the the blood stuff has to do with age, and it's also why I've decided you know that was probably my last time trying to get up to three hundred pounds. Yeah, like this last meet, I did it fifty pounds lighter. Yeah. So, and I just ate normal. Um, but I'll also say I didn't match my performance. So, uh, you know, I squatted 706 at this last meet, and but I did it at the same time I did it 40 pounds lighter. But I don't know if I can get to, I don't think I can get to 290 without eating like an asshole. It's just not happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not mm-hmm. going to eat steak and broccoli and rice and get 290. I can't do it. Yep. So, but yeah, I have to expect it was a lot of age. I mean, because I never had an issue before. Like, my blood pressure has always been good, and it was right. highly elevated. So. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that's going to change as you age. When I was a kid, yeah. I could gain weight. I could dirty bulk. Not that I did when I was real young. I was always too obsessive eating clean, but never never even a thought to blood pressure. And now i got to keep yeah. an eye on that. It's like a switch. If I go over 215, there goes my blood pressure, you know? Yep. And i got a family history of that. But you know what, Phil? I, it didn't dawn on me, but... The last time I bulked up, and it wasn't like you, but I, I gained about 30 pounds. I got up to about 230. Mm-hmm. I was 42, and I said enough. Yeah. Same yep. age, actually. Yep. Um, mm. The last time I competed, I'm like, I just I can't do this anymore. And because I start thinking about stuff like, what if my blood pressure doesn't come back down? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, these kinds of things are, are a little scarier as you, as you age, I think. Um, yeah, and I was getting headaches and short of breath and you know, things that just didn't happen before. You know, mm-hmm. so and, you know, a lot of the things you did, I mean, let's face it, you can say, oh, we're going to do this with nothing but peanut butter and olive oil veggies. Yeah. No, probably not. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. No, it's just uh, not going to happen. You yeah, know, I, I mean, know me. I mean, like, I don't eat light all year long. You're like for me to maintain, I'm 252 right now as of this morning. Mm-hmm. I'm not eating like a twink, man. I'm still. No. Stuff in, <laughs> yeah. You know, just to maintain. this mm-hmm. weight. So to get another 40 pounds. It takes drastic Rid- measures. Yeah, ridiculous surplus. Well, yeah. So yeah. I did it with Walmart. I used to buy those Walmart cakes. Uh, they're like four yeah. to six servings and just eat them. Um, yeah. And that's, it was cakes and pies and it was literally anything that I could grab. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, there's no restriction. But, you know, there's also stuff like, yeah, there's a lot of these confounding factors, which is why case studies are fascinating because you ate fish oils, you had salad, you, you know, you trained yeah. hard and it, it really makes me wonder how much the, the lifting can save you from this kind of stuff, right? Because most people who are gaining weight 40 pounds in a short period of time, they're not lifting like gen pop people are just yeah. abusively eating, you know, for whatever reason. But the exercise component, it just provides this really weird counterpoint to all of it, you know, and the fact that you did eat some vegetables and your fish oils and, you know what I mean? So, like, what would happen if without the, without the lifting or without the fish yeah, oils no, and the salads, you know? The sad thing is the only way we compare that is if you, they'd have to talk me into, like, okay, do the same thing, oh, but right. don't train. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Talk about damage, no. permanent damage. Yeah, no, so, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, because what would have happened? I mean, it is, you look at this graph, and especially on the third sample, a lot of my other bacteria went up on the, the third samples, which that was right before the meat. And why is that? Except for the only thing I can conclude really is the only thing that changes is training got really heavy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. There towards the end, and they are there are other studies they can point out where that did happen. So that's the really the only thing that we can conclude is that heavy, heavy, heavy training volume and intensity made that stuff go up. Yeah, um, but no real telling unless, like I said, I did it again and didn't train hard. Oh right, that's not happening. Yeah. So and we're not going to get a group of a dozen fills together similar enough to make you know group comparisons. It would just be a nightmare. Which is why case studies are valuable, I guess. You know, they're all unique. Um, Imagine submitting for the IRB for that and saying, "Yeah, we want these people to gain like forty pounds. They'll be lifting though." <laughs> right. Right. They are lifting. <laughs> and then you put in a control group, but this group won't. Yeah. yeah. This group just has to gain 40 pounds and sit on the couch. Yeah. So uh, that'd probably be easier to get that group, though, sadly. Uh, oh, yeah. 
Oh, I've even I've even heard tales of IRBs getting you know irritated with people that just want to feed extra saturated fat or you know something like that. Not imagine that their horror, their abject horror to look at Phil's intake. Yeah. You're what? You told him to eat what? No, no, he what? chose this himself. <laughs> um, yeah. Mike, what about your your clients or or your own experience with gain and loss and uh, you know, because I mean, you're tall, so we need to keep in in mind the proportions of you know dozens of pounds and what that means to a short person versus a taller person and all that kind of stuff. But what are your experiences with this? And have you done it now that you're middle aged? And is was there a difference? You know? Yeah, I mean, when I started, I was you know still a freshman in college and six foot three and a half and weighed 156 pounds that was after puberty and after I had been lifting <laughs> for a little bit um so I remember it took me years to get to 185 it took me two and a half years I think and then it took me almost another two and a half years to get to 200 at that point um the highest I ever got up to was 2015 I got up to like 245 and from 235 to 245 I realized I just got fatter. <laughs> like none of my lifts went up at all. Mm -hmm. And I was stressed out of my mind doing my PhD working, you know, did a novice strongman uh, competition. So I wasn't going to make the, the weight category for the novice. It was either 220 and above or below. So I'm like, ah, I've never, you know, I'm not really competing to win. I'm not going to worry about trying to cut any weight. Um, so I thought, well, I'll just, you know, go up and see how high I can get. And a lot of it was just, eating a lot more. Like I said, the last 10 pounds, I didn't really get any stronger, probably from sleep and stress and everything else. And then after that point, yeah, I, I could, I drop back down to 233 and could hang out there pretty good. But I have noticed as I've gotten older, especially probably the last three years, once I graduated from my PhD and trying to recover from that whole process, you know, I was just completely burnt out. It's like probably, if I'm honest, like two and a half years after that, and then, especially in the last eh, three to four years, I think I've realized I'm probably never going to be that heavy again. Um, so I've cut all the way back down to the lowest I've been is 210. Um, before this trip, I haven't been on a scale, but before this trip, I was like eh, 225, you know, somewhere in there. Um, and that feels pretty good. I mean, I usually kind of will go up or down, and then I'll try to hold it for a period of time. And then I'll say, meh. Maybe I'll go down a little bit more. Um, part of that, too, I think I've gotten, as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at listening to my body. Because you, there's some times where you're like, oh, I think I can probably go down a little bit and lifting and everything is going to be good. And there's other times where you're, you're trying to go down and it just feels like everything in your body wants to go the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. And in the past, I've just been like, no, just don't be a pussy. Just don't cave in and, yeah. you know, just be more hardcore about it and... Now I've kind of realized if that's continuing for several weeks, then, you know, maybe I should go up for a period of time. Uh, we did an experiment in Costa Rica maybe a year and a half ago now. We took, you know, lifters and we said, okay, let's have them do uh, lifting full body sessions. You know, it's about a two hour, pretty intense lifting sessions, monitored a bunch of stuff. And we did the exact same routine with them four days in a row because we wanted to see, you know, what would happen. And I helped with the study. And then after the study was done in the morning, uh, buddy Ryan and I would then lift as, you know, participants in the study. And I remember like, and the food was unrestricted. We were in Costa Rica, so we got great food, but everyone's in the same area. You know, no one's going anywhere else. So it's kind of semi-controlled. I remember by like halfway through the second day, even I was just absolutely starving, like all the time. Like I would eat as much food as I could within the three feedings. And then I would wake up in the middle of the night and like murder quest bars and find like their carcasses next to my bed <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> and I figured, eh, maybe I should try to go up and wait at this point. Um, but yeah, I think as I get older, I'm a little bit more, I think, wiser with those changes and probably just have more experience. And then kind of similar to you guys also realized that eh, I'm probably never going to want to go up super high again. Um, cause I usually don't gain a lot of lean body mass if I go over, you know, if I can gain a uh, pound of lean body mass for two to three pounds of fat, I'm 
pretty ecstatic with that, and that's doing most things correct. Mm-hmm. So just keeping an eye on having to come back down uh, from that on the other side too. Yeah. yeah. Let. What about the? Uh, yeah, you're kind of touching on the psychological costs here. Right. What? Like when I was I was just under two thirty and I felt like a butterball. Like especially oh, yeah. because with bodybuilding, you know, I've got a little <laughs> bit of that body image thing. I, I would have to take a deep breath to lean over and tie my shoes. You know, I was just a bloated. It was it was actually too much. You know, I, I knew for a fact if I could have pushed it any further at all. But two thirty, I think Phil was was my for you what what might be three hundred. It's like this, yeah. you know, just just out of reach kind of thing. Um, yeah. But psychologically, what about you, Phil? What what were you thinking when you were that big? I, were you? Oh, the only thing that felt good was squat bench and deadlift. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Real. I mean, I was a one show pony, man. Uh, like I'd get to stairs and be like, oh, all right, here we go. And yeah, I mean, everything. Yeah, just I mean, getting out of bed, tying your shoes, like every bit of life was horrible. And the only thing that felt good was squat bench and deadlift. So that's funny. I mean, everything else was work. Yeah. But my freaking sleep apnea was worse. Everything. Oh, right. My, that's a good God, point. Dying. <laughs> you know? yeah. and, uh, I'm sweating. And yeah, it was it's bad. But um, and yeah, I mean, no, the only thing that helps me is I know as a strength athlete that and I think this surprised Sarah and Robert, the two people that tested was like that. I wasn't worried that a lot of it was body fat. Because I know for a fact that just adding body fat onto somebody that's, that's strong, that helps them move more weight. Like your leverages change. Yeah. And you move more weight, especially in the squat and the bench. Um, and even, like I can tell you this, like wearing a belt for heavy lifts, if you're lean, like I did that meet, I got down to 230. Oh, man, my belt hurt. Whereas if I'm mm. padded, oh, I can crank that thing up. <laughs> right, I get it. You know? Yeah. When when your belt is cramming against lean abs, oh, it hurts. You mm-hmm. know, pinches. It's got a Bruises. nice cushion of yeah. fat. It doesn't matter that much. So, uh, yeah, and your hips and everything. I mean, they've got padding on them, and so, yeah. But I mean, mentally, yeah, it was. It's just uh, everything sucked. Yeah, <laughs> right. You got to mow the lawn, and oh, uh, but yeah, stairs. So. Stairs are yep. a brutal challenge. <laughs> Stairs in the building and like my print shops upstairs is like, oh, I got to go up there. <laughs> the printing machine doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. I even noticed my feet hurt because uh, I'm not usually that heavy. And I don't have, I'm size 10. They're not, I don't have big or small feet. It's kind of average size. But I, I mean, like my heels would hurt. I, I would feel like if I, if I did stuff in the gym, you know, even just squat deadlift stuff where I added extra weight. It's like my, my feet are like, no, no, you're already weighted. You're not putting more, you know, <laughs> I'm spreading out here like, you know, you're, you're destroying me. But yeah, but the psychological thing I, I got to think is, you know, it's another price that people have to consider when they do, uh, you know, super aggressive, dirty bulks. And at the same time, I think we're all in agreement doing this micromanagement, tiny calculations to try to gain weight. Yeah, you might save yourself a messed up, uh, you know, gut bacterial colonies or blood pressure or lipids for the next twelve weeks. But um, I thought about this when I was looking at those those uh, protein studies earlier. It's like what Phil said before many times. It's not about health, you know. If you're if you're so worried about your gut bacterial colonies or your blood pressure over the next twelve to twenty weeks, then maybe this isn't for you. To be honest. You know, if you're that concerned about nuances in your health, maybe you shouldn't be force feeding 30 pounds up or more. So, yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of it makes a difference on, like Phil was saying, what is your mindset going into it? And knowing with a meet, do you have a hard deadline to meet, mm-hmm. which is good because then after you can kind of go back down again. Yeah. I mean, how many people that we've known just in passing that have yeah they're just always kind of bulking they're not really doing a show they're not really doing a meet they're just kind of always going up with no end in sight and sometimes that makes me worry because at some point i just noticed in clients in the past too that their health parameters tend to be very non-linear 
like kind of what we were saying. You'll be good to a point. Like for me, 233, 235 wasn't bad. 245 was horrible. That was, that was only a 10-pound difference. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, you would not expect to be mm-hmm. that different. But I've noticed at some point for pretty much everyone, it just becomes nonlinear and just every everything just starts to go crazy. That's a good observation, <laughs> man. Yeah, I felt the same thing. 215 is sort of my borderline. And if I go yeah. between 215 and 230, it sucks. Phil, what's your number, though? Like, where are you comfortable and where does it go bad? Do you God, know? it was. Even as short as five years ago, it was more like 270, I felt good. Now I'm right about where I'm at, 250. I feel good. You get up to 265 and, ooh, yeah. things start <laughs> feeling pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I can go do all the stuff I want to at 250, in between 245 and 255. Uh, I'm out chopping wood and doing stuff, and I'm okay. I'm good. Uh, you know, I can go on a three-mile hike, and yeah, I'm good. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, and you start getting past 260, 265, and it's work. That's where it goes bad. So, yeah. I think um, that might be a challenge we can have for all of the listeners is, you know, where do you think your your tipping point is? That, now, to do this, you actually had to do some pretty serious, aggressive bulking in the past, you know, yes. like more than a pound a week, <laughs> way more yeah. sometimes. And it depends, if, you know, again, natural guys – I don't expect them to put on two pounds a week or four or five pounds a week. Somebody's obviously on testosterone or something. It's it's going to be much easier for them to put on that weight, but probably also to drive up their blood pressure and and feel bloated and all that kind of stuff. So it, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what I did, I mean, it was twelve weeks. I probably gained the majority of that forty pounds in the first six weeks. Oh, you know? God! And then it was slowly adding a couple pounds. Yeah, you know those last few came on harder, like a pound a and day, and then it just, yeah, and then it just kind of, you know, it kind of evened out, and you know, I probably gained two, three pounds the last four weeks, you know, mm-hmm. because I just reached a saturation point, right? Despite all the effort, can't, yeah, it's just not coming on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I mean, I don't do that. I, I literally do that for a meet once a year, or I did. Uh, the three quarters of the year, I'm training to get stronger and staying at right where I'm at, you know? Yeah. A reasonable range. So, yeah. Yeah. So. so about how nonlinear the process is mm-hmm. and you'll just hit a point where that curve just flattens out both on the way up and the way down. And it's sometimes worth reminding clients, especially on the way down that, yeah, you kind of want to be at a plateau. You just want to be maybe a little leaner than where you're at. But eventually you want to hit a plateau because yes. by definition, it's pretty easy to stay at that point. It doesn't take nearly as as much work. So I think sometimes we associate plateaus as always being a, a negative when actually that's kind of part of the end goal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I, and on things like this, I've seen it in myself and I've seen it in too many people. They they. They try and get this super precise plan together. Okay, I got 12 weeks. I, yeah. need, to gain, I need to gain 30 pounds. I'm going to gain two pounds a week. And what happens is by the end of 12 weeks, they've gained like three pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't get anywhere close. Um, you know, how many times have we seen that? Okay, I'm going to gain a pound a week and blah, blah. And the person is literally the same person. For Calorie 10 counting. Years. Yeah. Yeah, they're the same person for 10 years. Uh, they have, they've gained like four pounds in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh I just know that for me at that level, weighing 250 to go somewhere and make drastic changes, I just got to make it happen. It's it's a war against the dinner plate. Mm-hmm. So yes, it is. But it makes a difference, like I said. And yeah, it it added. If I look across my total, because just the squat was more than 100 pounds, I probably gained 200 and some pounds on my total for gaining mm-hmm. four pounds of body weight. Totally worth it for what I was trying to do. Yeah. You know? So that's the power lift for uniqueness versus bodybuilding, you know, because yeah. when I was trying to, I became such a butterball. I've always got one eye cause I'm trying to do like a 70, 30 lean to fat gain. I mean, I wasn't yeah. delusional. I know yeah. it wasn't going to be all lean. Um, yeah. but you always got to keep an eye on how many extra weeks to take off this extra, you know, 10 or 15 pounds of fat yes. when with you Phil, it's just like, F it. I'm so what if I'm fat or the bars moving, you know, and yeah, it's a, it's and a different only- sport. The only thing I had to worry about is because I was like 289. I hadn't weighed in at 275. So the last two days, I just eased off, and, you know, peed out a bunch of water and stuff that I was holding. And 
then weighed in and went and ate the buffet, and I was 289 the next day. So, <laughs> uh, it's no big deal. It's really easy to shed. When you're that bloated, uh, <laughs> eating all the cakes, it's really easy to knock off some water. So uh, I didn't actually do a cut. I just... It's just didn't funny. cram myself for a couple of days. Yeah, so. when you're that bloated, it's just funny. Yeah. Now, one last thing, just just for fun, Mike. When you were, uh, you said 245 was your heaviest. How yeah. long? How long did that maintain? Were, were you able to hold that, or was it very brief, or did you plateau there for months? Or. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Like I, at that point, I'm like Oscar. It was to see how high I can go, and like getting above 240, like. 240 to 245 was was pretty hard um it just got annoying and at the time i just i just didn't have the time to dedicate to eating all the freaking time Mm -hmm. you know because i was trying to go back to school and everything else was going on and the second i just didn't eat as much i dropped from 245 to like 239 240 like what felt like overnight um, now that took a little bit, you know, more time to get back from, you know, down from there. Mm-hmm. And then even the first time I went from 233, I went all the way down to 217. That wasn't too bad. And then I kind of went up a little bit and then down again. But I'll notice that those be these weird kind of set points along the way. And then I'll look back at my data and find, oh, okay. Yeah, in the past, I was at like 221 for quite a while or 233. I'll find these numbers that I just tend to to hang out at that's pretty easy and it takes a little bit of work to kind of move to whatever feels like the next sort of plateau above or, or below but yeah i found like the first you know going from 245 to 239 felt like just the day <laughs> yeah when i was 228 229 that i it might have only been for a month a month and a half you know yeah. uh, like it was really forced it was like this peak it's like a VO2 peak versus a, a VO2 max. Right. You know, I, there's no plateau. I can't hold it there. Uh, my body doesn't want to be there. Uh, now, Phil, with you, what was that weight? Did you get what was your absolute peak, and how long did you hold it there? Oh, I didn't hold it long at all. I I made it 289, mm-hmm. and I varied in between right in there for I don't know several weeks. But the day after the meet, see you later, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I was done. <laughs> so, uh yeah the day after the meeting like i was going down i was really i mean honestly if you look at a couple weeks in i was like oh, the first couple weeks is like oh this eating thing's fun after that nope this sucks i was over it but mm-hmm. i just had to do it so yeah. 10 weeks of just cramming shit in and not wanting to eat uh so the minute i could lose weight i was going back i was like i'm eating some salads and some chicken yeah this is yeah. great yeah so uh, yeah, I didn't hold it at all. I've never been able to hold that weight. I'm always around. I was back down to 260 fast. Woof. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, it was one. Yeah. So even at this meet I just had, I was I've lost 10 pounds and I didn't I didn't eat up. I was eating a little more just because I was training hard. Like Mike said, when he was training hard, he was hungry. I was just hungry. Yeah. So yeah. I ate. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But I've lost 10 pounds and since March. I think it's it's worth noting for everybody too. This is very relative to your height and your weight history yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Like you guys are talking about thirty pounds. What the? You know, it's like, well, you know, yes, it's hard, and make no mistake, it's dramatic. But you know, if your body's been near there before, and you kind of yeah. know what it takes behaviorally and even pocketbook, <laughs> then you could get stuff in place. It makes it a little bit more feasible. But no, yeah, yeah. it's important to understand too that. You're talking about, you know, Phil's a sort of national caliber. You you can't just say, oh, I'm just a local lifter. I, I've been at this for four years. How come I'm not gaining 50 pounds like Phil? You know, yeah. and it's like, well, this is relative to a lot of things. So, yeah. yeah. And I find the, the biggest issue is if you have experience doing it and you've done it multiple times, like probably all of us have to some degree, you kind of own that sense of control and it's, not really that big of a deal, which I know probably pisses off like a lot of people. Um, I mean, if I were to get really lean, yeah, that's probably going to take a lot more time. And I just yeah. don't care about it right now, <laughs> to mm-hmm. be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you've done it, you kind of, you know, the habits, you know, the behavior, oh, yeah. you know, the cost. And I think you can make a better educated decision. And consequently, I think you also don't worry about it as much, right? Because you're like, okay. 
if I really wanted to drop 15 pounds and get significantly leaner, I know what it need, takes to do. I could do it, but I also know the cost and everything else. So I'm going to be intelligent about where I prioritize it versus someone who doesn't have that experience. And it's kind of the first time they're either gaining or losing. Everything is kind of new. They have no framework. They mm-hmm. don't, they just don't have quite that skill set yet. And I think that lack of control can, you know, obviously be a little bit more scary and make them feel uneasy about the process. Yeah, the confidence is is a big deal. Like even when I was a butterball, I knew, and I just a water ball, I knew that I could I could pull this weight off. Like I've been very right. lean before, and I've been big and bloated. I mean, for my height, and I know, yeah, you've been there. You have that confidence. There's only one way to gain confidence, and that's to at least do it some. You know, go through the process once or twice. And I'm guessing Phil was never panicked, like, I'm never going to come down from 289. I'm stuck here. You know, he knew better. No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that's a good discussion. I think we're just about out of time. So, uh, good stuff. Cool. All right, guys. All right. Next week. All right. Yeah. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.